0: All right. Proverbs 29 and we're going to read verse 18 as our text this morning or this evening. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Again, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law Happy is he. Thank you, and you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Many times we'll hear a guest missionary turn to this passage and say, if you don't have a vision for trying to win people to the Lord in a foreign country, then you won't go as a missionary and try to win these people, and they will perish. And that is true if we do not have a vision or a burden for unsaved people, they would spend an eternity in hell. And we talked about that last night. We want to get a burden for unsaved people. But I don't believe that's the primary message of this verse, but rather I believe the verse is teaching this. If we have a vision to keep the law, we will, meaning to obey the Bible and to let this book be our guide for life and believe what this verse teaches this Bible, and live after the ways of Jesus Christ is taught in the Bible. Right, now, where there is no vision, the people perish, but in contrast, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So I think it's talking more about a vision or a motivation for why we want to live for God. In Belfont, Pennsylvania, I met a street fighter named Dane who said that he had been in 73 fights and had only lost three because he was hit from behind. I asked him if he would like to get saved, and he said, get saved, that's a joke. I've dated too many Christian girls to want to get saved. Now, those girls were claiming to be followers of Jesus, but their lives were as bad as anybody in the world. And he said, what a bunch of phonies. And those women did not realize the way they lived affected other people and whether they would be saved or whether they'd burn forever in hell. And they just didn't have a motivation to be different. Well, if we get a motivation, we'll be different. And we'll live like Christians ought to live if we get motivated. In a Bible college where I preach sometimes, They had several young people, then they asked them, how many of you feel that God wants you in full-time ministry? Out of 350, only one young lady felt that God wanted her to be like on a mission field or something. Now, I know that God is not calling 350 of every teenager in every church to be a preacher, but I think he's calling more than our responding, and I think it's we just don't have motivation. In my youth group back home, there is a young man, that got away from God and started going to the clubs. He quit going to church when he got out of high school and he started drinking. And I said, Dale, you're a deacon, son. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you going to church? Why are you going to get drunk all the time? And he said, well, Brother Mike, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. I'm just going to live my season. And then I'll get right with God. Now, I doubt that there is anybody here this evening would be that belligerent who would say, ha, 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 I'm just going to live my season. Ha, 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 I'll get right with God later. But there probably are some people here that need reviving, most likely, and it's not because you're a God-hater, it's that you just do not have the motivation to live for God. There might be some here tonight that you've never even started and never even gotten to first base in a relationship with God. And it's because you have not understood why you want to. And so, what I want to do is help you with that and hopefully give some motivation for why we want to live for God, okay? Now, the first reason it's a very simple message is number one, because of Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches in 1 John 4 19 why people love Jesus. And here's what it says. Young people, I hope you're paying attention, not writing notes and stuff or goofed around too much. And I want you to listen for one reason. I hate your guts. No, that's not it. If you don't listen, you're going to miss something that God could use to help you with, okay? So I want to make sure you listen the best that I can, okay? I'm for you, not against you. Now, there's a verse that tells people why they love Jesus, and it is simply this. We love Jesus because he first loved us. Now, if we could, and if you could, If we all could understand the love that God has toward man, then we would naturally love him back. Like a baby growing up in a home with a good mom and dad is taken care of gently, taken care of lovingly, sacrificially. And there may be a time when that child goes through a stage when the child can't stand mom or dad, But usually with a good mom and a good dad, the time comes when they're finally grown up and they say, Mom and Dad, thank you. Now, why does that child love that mom or dad? Because they know what that mom or dad did for them. Now, why do we who follow Jesus live for him? It's because we know what Jesus did for us. Now, if you take your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 15, And Mark chapter 15 talks about what Jesus did for us, and I just want to remind us of the death of Jesus and how he did this to save men from their sins. Now, Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 15, and so Pilate, willing to contend the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away to the hawkhold praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. Now most everyone has heard that Jesus died on the cross. Today in the motel where we were staying, the man who is the manager tells me he is a Catholic. And when I went to see him today, he went like this. He said, Jesus. And I explained to him that you do not get to heaven by being born a Catholic, and you do not get to heaven by being born a Baptist. But the only way that you get to heaven is not just knowing he died on the cross, but putting your faith in what Jesus Christ did on that cross and asking him to save you. Now, I'm hoping by the end of the week he'll do that. But here's what I'm also hoping, that there may be somebody here tonight that you've heard is just like this man has heard, that Jesus died on the cross, but maybe you didn't understand all that he went through for you, and then you will want to accept him understanding what he went through. Now, first of all, I want you to imagine yourself being God. Now, I'm not being disrespectful, but imagine yourself on the throne in heaven, and anything you want, the angels come and give it to you and then leave heaven and all of the beauty of heaven and come to this place, earth. Now question, how many of you, when you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, are going to want to come back to earth? Any of you? Not me and not you. Now Jesus leaving heaven and coming to this earth was a sacrifice in itself. Now then Jesus took on the form of a man. Now, when Jesus became a man, he did not stop being God. He was God incarnate or God in the flesh. That's the Bible teaching. And if you consider that today even people are saying, Oh, Jesus never really raised the dead. Oh, Jesus never really walked on water. Why are they so concerned about proving He did not ever raise the dead or walk in the water? Because the evidence is there that He did. Now, when we say that Jesus was God in the flesh, He was. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, even the glory of the Son of God. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. Then Jesus became a man... And he went about doing good. He fed the hungry, raised the dead, healed the sick, and took care of people. Now, you would have thought people would have loved him, but instead they hated him. Have you ever done something good for somebody and then they backstab you? That's what we did to Jesus. Now, then we crucified him. Now, before we crucified Jesus, aren't babies beautiful, by the way? But before we crucify Jesus, I want to remind us that he went through a lot of things we put him through. First thing we did was we scourged him. Scourging refers to beating a man with a cat of nine tails. Now, if you don't know what a cat of nine tails is, it's a handle with nine leather strips. On the end of the leather strips, are tied pieces of three or four inch long sharp rock, bone, or metal. They would take a man and tie him spread eagle in the air through four rings. Sometimes one ring dangling from a tree. Other times, they would bend his body over a rack, tie his wrist to his ankles. And once he was tied up, a strong soldier would take the cat of nine tails, pull it back, and he'd lash it across his back. And when he did it, he would snap it. And when he would snap the leather whip, the leather would ripple and ripple bigger and ripple bigger and pick up momentum and you shoot the bone, rock, and metal right into a man's back. Now, once they did that, they would pull it, and it would rip off nine rows of skin. Now, usually, they would beat a man 13 times from the left side, and then 13 times from the right side, and then 13 times down the center. And they would rip flesh this way, this way, this way, and after being beaten with the cat of nine tails, a man's back would look like hamburger meat. Raw hamburger meat. Now, if you consider what Jesus went through, it says that he went through that. Now, then the Bible says that they platted a crown of thorns. I've been to Israel two times And if you go to Israel, you'll find many of these trees. And they have huge thorns on them, and they're up to six inches long. And they put it in a circle like a crown to make fun of him, said, oh, you're the king. And they put it on his head, and they took a rod, and they beat him on the head with that rod. Now, the blunt blunt instrument would have done damage to his skull. But on top of that, they hit the crown of thorns, which also then punctured his skin up against the skull, went down under the skin, and you can imagine the excruciating pain as well as the blood and the ripping of the flesh. That's what Jesus went through. Now then it says that they clothed him with purple. Now we don't know how long it was on his back, but we do know the first thing they did was they scourged Jesus, and when they scourged Jesus, They put the purple robe on his back to make fun of him. Oh, king of the Jews, huh? And they put the crown of thorns in the purple robe, which was a sign of royalty. And then they bow down and they pretend worshiping him. And I don't know how long they had a little mocking party, but I do know that blood eventually dries. And if that robe was on his back for any length of time, maybe they had time to coagulate. And if it did, before they crucified Jesus, they ripped off the robe. And if it had turned into a scab, the robe would have dried right into the scab, and when they ripped it off, it would have reopened all those wounds. Now, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Psalms chapter 22, and it says what Jesus went through for man, and it talks about the crucifixion a thousand years before it ever happened, and how do we know it's about the crucifixion? Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a messianic prophecy the exact words that Jesus would say on the cross, and he did. He did say them. And we know that it's definitely talking about the cross, because if you look at verse 18, it says, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And if you know the story of the crucifixion, after Jesus was crucified, they didn't want to tear up his robe. It was too valuable. And so they said, let's kind of gamble for it. And they did. And that's how they decided who would get that robe. So this is definitely talking about Jesus. Now, follow me. Already, we've talked about the cat of nine tails. Crossed his back. 117 stripes of flesh this way. Tore off. 117 stripes of skin torn off. 117 stripes of skin torn off this way. And his back looking like raw hamburger meat. Then they hit him on the head with a stick. They drive the crown of thorns into his brow. They clothe him with purple, spit on him, blindfold him, hit him, say, who hit you? Spit in his face. And then they rip off the robe before they crucify him. Now look at Psalm 22 and verse 14. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Now, why would Christ say, I'm poured out like water? I don't know if you knew this, but if you have heard about the crucifixion, you may have never heard this. Before Christ was crucified, they pulled his bones out of joint. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. If our bones were out of joint, we would have no form. We'd be like water. And that's what he is saying. Now, there used to be a torture in Bible days where they would tie a man's body up to two animals, hit him in opposite directions. they pulled pull the body apart. It's not in the Bible, but his bones had to get pulled apart somehow. Now, look at verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. That's a clay pot. My tongue cleaveth to my jaw. He was so thirsty, his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. And what did they give him according to the word of God? Vinegar. Now, look at verse 16. Halfway through Psalm 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, they took a nail, and then they went to the wood in cross, and they put his arm down, and they put the nail here. One held his arm. I'm sure another held the nail and the mallet, and they beat it right through his hand and secured his arm and hand to the wood. Now, what would you think if you saw someone take me up here today and just take a nail and secure my arm with a nail right through my flesh to the pulpit. You would be affected by that gruesome sight. Now here was this arm, this arm, and then they crossed his feet and they put the nail right through the foot. And this is something that Jesus went through for us. It should affect us, but it does not affect us. Now why did it happen? Why was Christ back beaten with a cat of nine tails till it looked like raw hamburger meat? Why did he let them grab his beard and twist it and pull it out of his face? Why did he let them put the crown of thorns on his head, the nails in his hands, pull his bones out of joint? And why did he let them crucify him when he could have stopped it because he's God? The Bible says the reason that he did it is that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace or the punishment that we should have had on ourselves because of our sins, which would be hell, was upon Him. Get it? Was upon Him. Get it? Our punishment was on Him, and if it wasn't for Him, we would all one day be burning in hell. Now, somebody says, well, that doesn't sound like God really loves people, sending people to hell. And here's my message. Jesus is not sending people to hell. We are already going to hell because we've all sinned. You say, well, that's not love. you got to remember, God is just. And the Bible says justice happens when a man pays for his crime and the payment for sin is death. And the moment that we sinned, guilty of sin worthy of judgment by lake of fire. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? That perfect sacrifice that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now somebody says, why should I come to Jesus? The first reason is if you've never been saved, unless you come to Jesus and understand that what He did on the cross can save you from your sins today, unless you let Him take your punishment, then you have to take the punishment. Now, if you understand that, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the punishment we should have had in hell, was on Him on the cross. And so unless you understand you are a sinner, God doesn't hate you because of that. God showed His love toward you while you were a sinner, and He died for you. And unless you understand that He did literally die to keep you from going to hell because of your sins, you will never come to Him. But if you understand that this is truth, this is what the Bible teaches, and it was a great sacrifice on your behalf, then you will have a reason to come to him as personal Savior. Now, those of us who are definitely on our way to heaven, here's what the Bible says. We should love him because he first loved us. Greater loveth no man than a man lay down his life for his friend, and I personally do think that we don't think. Now, what do I mean by that? I had a youth pastor come up to me, and he said, everything that you preached, I'm going to have to tell the teenagers you were wrong. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you know, you talked about that person who was drinking alcohol. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you're telling them it's a sin to drink alcohol. I said, well, the Bible says it's a sin. He says, oh, it's not what it's saying. I said, it says, look not on the wine when it is red, when it's dirth in the cup. And it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And it doesn't just condemn getting drunk, it condemns the substance. Wine is a mocker. And you know what? He said, well, I'm going to have to tell him everything that you said was wrong. And first of all, I said, if, if one of these young people that is under your watch gets older and gets drunk, and dies in an automobile wreck, their blood will be on your hands. And I said, secondly, I'm going to tell your pastor that he needs to fire you. And I said, thirdly, if you really love God, you wouldn't be a, champagne, a champion for alcohol. Now, if we would be people that would fall in love with Jesus, we would not want to do things that would hurt him. And the Bible says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. And the way that we fall in love with Him as Christians is remember what He did for us. Now, once in a while, my heart gets cold. Is there anybody here who would say that you're the same way? I remember in California at one time, my heart was getting kind of cold. And I said, God, I'm getting so cold. And so I went outside, and I started walking back and forth and said, God, I have a reason that I should be in love with you, you died for me. And I'm walking along, and I'm thinking, God, you know my heart better than I do, and you know it's getting cold. And I said, God, put some emotion back in this heart. Put some love back in this heart. And I started thinking about the things that he did and i thought about the nail going right through the hand and securing it to the wood and you know i began to pray god thank you for taking the nail and taking it in the wood but then i walked along a little bit more and i thought about it and i thought about my arm going out and a nail going through here and i thought about how that would be painful and how that would be horrible and i thought about that and before long i said god thank you for taking the nails And then I walked along a little bit more, and I thought about it, how it must have really hurt having it there and then here and then down to the foot. And before long, I'm going, God, thank you for taking the nails. And before long, get it, my heart was warmed. Now, I think sometimes we as Christians get a little cold. Hey, listen, don't let let anything distract you. I think sometimes we get a little bit cold. And the reason that we get cold is because we've got it in our head but we don't let it hit our emotions. Now, God help us as Christian people to understand why we want to live for God. He died for us. And to rehearse it and to think about it and not just say, well, I know that, but let's get it down here where we can say, I know that. Let's all say that. Let's do this if you can. Ready? I know that. And so get it down in that heart, and we all struggle with that, and God says, keep your heart in the love of God. And the way that you keep yourself in the love of God is remember he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, the first reason that we've got to remember why we want to live for God, if you've never been saved, why you want to be saved, he died for you. Now, the second reason that I give is a very simple outline. Turn to Proverbs 28 and verse 14. And Proverbs 28 and verse 14, there are three reasons but they're not going to all be as long as the first. Stay with me. Now, the first is because of Jesus. That's the primary reason that we should want him. If you're not saved, he wants to save you from the punishment of your sin. If you are saved, he has already saved you from the punishment of sin, so he died for you, so you live for him. Now, the second reason, Proverbs 28 and verse 14. The second reason It's because of you, because of you, okay? Proverbs 28 and verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Happy is the man that feareth always. You see that? God's Word says if we follow God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fear God, we follow Him, we respect Him, we do what He wants. It says this will be the result. Happiness. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Here's the result: unhappiness, trouble, and mischief. Now, there are some people that will say, if you give your life to Jesus, God will make you rich. That is not in the Bible. God will make sure that you never get sick. That is not in the Bible. God will heal you if you get sick. That is not in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is that even if you're poor, even if you're sick, even if you're in trials, You'll be happy if you follow the Lord. Now, the three things that people want in life more than anything, love, joy, and peace. You get apples from an apple tree, oranges from an orange tree, love, joy, and peace comes from God's tree. I led a 68-year-old lady to the Lord named Jeanette. First thing out of her mouth is, I've got peace. I led a 19-year-old teenager to Jesus. First thing he said is, this is better than any high that I've ever had. I led a woman to the Lord in Pennsylvania. She prayed and accepted Jesus. And when she was done, she said, in Jesus' name, amen. And she looked at me right away and said, and I want you to know, I feel better right now than I've ever felt in my whole life. And the moment that we have Jesus, he literally comes in. Now, when Jesus comes in, the Bible says that he will fill us with love, with joy, and peace. Now, here's what the Bible teaches in John 15. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And it says if we are connected to Jesus and walk with him, that we will be like a vine, a branch connected to a vine. The sap will throw, flow through us, and the fruit will come. Now, what is the fruit that God says in John 15 will happen to every Christian who's walking with God? These things I write unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now, the fruit that God gives when we get saved is a peace inside and then a joy inside. And I've been working for 34 years in the ministry. And you know what I've seen? 100% 100% of the time in 34 years, I'm not making it up. Every last person who has ever accepted Jesus has felt peace inside. And there's never been a failure with it yet. And I'm telling you, if you've not been saved, you have no way of experiencing this without being saved. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, And peace. And I'm also telling you, if you are a Christian and you are not living for God, you have no way of experiencing this unless you get right with God. Now, many people who are even Christians think that holiness is a bunch of don'ts. Don't drink beer. Don't have sex out of marriage. Don't watch wrong movies. Don't use cuss words. Don't, 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 don't. And they think that all living for God is negative. Let me tell us something. Holiness is not negative, it's positive. Is there anything in a can of beer that's going to make your life better? There is something in a can of beer that could make your life worse. Is there anything in a drug that's going to make your life sweeter? There is something in a drug that could make your life worse. And is there anything in immorality that leads to guilt, which leads to being caught, which leads to divorce, which leads to a whole lot of pain going to enhance your life? Absolutely not. But there is a lot in immorality that can actually ruin and destroy everything precious in your life. There was one man in Statesville, North Carolina who told me that he had had nine affairs. And so I went to visit him and I was going to challenge him to give his life to the Lord. And you know what he said to me? He said, Brother Mike, I have had nine affairs with nine different women. But he said not one of them matter thing to me compared to the woman that I lost because of it now when somebody gets in sin there might be some pleasure in sin but the bible says it's for a season and it doesn't last very long and here's what we need to understand if you have not been saved there's not one thing in sin that's going to make your life happier but there is something about Jesus that will make your life happier it just happens now watch me up here. It might look a little silly. might be a little elementary. But as I throw this thing up, what's it do? It comes down. I throw it up again. It comes down. You know what that is? The law of gravity. I might not understand how it works. I just know that it works. Every time. And I may not be a theologian who knows how it works, but every time you throw your life up to God, it comes down with joy. Every time. Now some of you are not happy. And why is it that a person not right with God cannot be happy? Sometimes it's because of self-inflicted wounds. Proverbs 1:29 and 30, They would none of my counsel, they despise my reproof, therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. In other words, if you want your sin, it's not going to make you happy. You'll have to eat the fruit of your sin. And so many people are hanging on to sin and hoping it ends up helping them when it never has helped one person. Never made a man better. Never made a marriage better. Never made anybody's teenager's life better. Never. But every time people throw up their life to God, if you'll do it tonight, God, I'm drinking beer. I give it up. God, I'm being immoral. I give it up. God, I'm not going to church. I'm going to give up my Sundays. God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And you just throw up your life and quit fighting them. You'll find out it's going to come down better. You'll have a better marriage, you'll have a better life, you'll have a happier life, you'll have peace in your soul instead of guilt in your soul. You won't always have to be looking over your shoulder trying to cover your tracks. This is better. Sometimes when people try to live for God or get in sin, they cannot be happy because the way of transgressors is hard. As I mentioned, unsaved man, if you live a life of sin, it'll bite you. But even a Christian who gets away from God, it will take you into misery and even the chastisement of God. Hebrews twelve five through 8. God chastens whom he loves. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto sons. My son, you believing child of mine. You that is genuinely my child. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint without rebuke to Him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth get it. Every son whom he receiveth. Now, I'm a Christian, but sometimes I sin. But you know what I know? I better not play the fool and stay in sin. You know why? Because I'm afraid of God. Say, oh, you shouldn't be afraid of God. God says you should be afraid. And it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And those of you that might be from a background that says you should never preach on the judgment of God, God says, You have forgotten something. God chastens every son whom He receiveth. Now, how many remember that guy, Dale, who said, There's pleasure in sin for a season? I'm going to live my season. He lived his season. He went to a beer party and he got drunk. And afterwards, he got in a fist fight and he lost the fight. He got messed up very badly. Then three young guys came to him and said, hey, do you want revenge on the guy who beat you up? He said, sure, what do we do? True story. They took him over to the car and they said, look, what we've got in the back of their car were three rifles. True story. They said, Dale, you get in the car and we'll drive over to the house, of the guy who beat you up, and at midnight you can say payday to him and then we'll blow holes in his house. Dale said, that'll get him. And he got in the car with them, drove over thinking he's going to get revenge. He knocked on the door, but nobody answered. You know why? Because they had taken him to an abandoned home. They had set him up. And the three guys were friends of the guy who beat him up. True story. They got out of the car, pulled out the rifles, and they said, Go ahead, Dale, knock on the door. We'll blow holes in this house. And he walked up to this abandoned home that was going to knock on the door. They pulled out the rifle instead of shooting the home, they aimed him at his back and they pulled the trigger and they hit the target. And Dale dropped. Now, God was trying to get a hold of Dale. You say, how do you know it was God? Here's how I know. Dale lived. You don't live through three rifle holes in your back unless it's God. Does that make sense? Now, my preacher went to visit him and said, Dale, God's been trying to get a hold of you. Are you ready to get right with God? And though I wasn't there, I was told that Dale laughed in my preacher's face. Now, some of you say, man, if God tried to get a hold of me, that way I wouldn't laugh. Some of you, God's been trying to get a hold of, and you've laughed so far. You've had a preacher tell you, a parent tell you, a friend tell you, you've had a wife tell you. Stop. But you keep doing it, and you laugh as if there's no consequence whatsoever. And I'm telling you, there's always a consequence for sin, so you give it up. And if you understand If you'll live your life for God, there will always be happiness. Throw your life up to the Lord tonight for your own sake and surrender so that you can benefit. Now, we're about done, and you say, praise God. But we are about done, but I want to give a very quick third reason why we want to live for God. Now, before we do this, do you know you're going to heaven? If you don't. You can. These things are written that you may know you have eternal life, not hope you have it, but know it. And if you don't know you're going to heaven, you need to know that. And I'm telling you the way that you can is what he did on the cross. If you are saved, would you say you're 50% right with God, 75% right with God, 90% right with God? I'm not perfect. But here's what I do acknowledge. When I'm only 90% right with God, that's not good enough for God. You never make Him stop loving me. Thank God for that. But what it does do, it opens the door for self-inflicted wounds, and it also opens the door for the judgment of God. He chastens whom He loves to correct me. And I fear the chastening of God. I want the blessings, not the burdens. Now, in closing, I told you I'd be quick, but the third and final reason is because of them. Now, outside these four walls, there really is a world where people are dying and going to hell. The Bible says hell is not a fairy tale. Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Romans 623, hell is not a fairy tale. The wages of sin is death. Revelation 20:14, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was literally cast into the lake of fire. Either it's true It's a lie, and I say it's true. There's enough evidence for this Bible to make your head spin. And here's what it says Whose child was not found written in the book of life was cast literally into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 14. Now, I don't want people to go to hell because they met Mike Pelletier, I don't want someone to go to hell because they saw my poor testimony. And if for no other reason to live for Jesus, it's because of our effect on the other people that are around us. Now, can you go to heaven and drink wine in a restaurant? Absolutely. But are you going to be as easily taking somebody else to heaven with you who's unsaved, who sees you drinking wine in a restaurant? I say not as easily. Can you use cuss words at work as a Christian and still go to heaven? Absolutely. But can you take your coworker to heaven if you keep using cuss words and then talk to him about Jesus? It may be a little more difficult. And if for no other reason, the reason that we want to straighten up is because we do care about people, and we know that what we do affects their eternity. I close with one illustration that is also true. In Dalton, Georgia, 1979, four young men went to their favorite swim hole, and these are all these dramatic stories, but I'm, I'm sorry. That's just where I'm going. Well, four men went to their favorite swim hole. They hadn't been there in a month. The first guy dove in. The second teenager was about to dive in, and the head popped up from the first teenager out of the water, and he screamed, Go back! Go back! And got sucked under. Realizing his friend was in a dangerous situation, He put his foot in the water and was going to help him. And the head popped up again, water splashing everywhere. Go back! Got sucked under right away. One last time, he tried to help his friend. Put his foot in the water, was going to dive in. The head popped up with water going everywhere. Go back! And got sucked under. This time, the blood bubbled up out of the top of the water. Now, they ran to get help, and the The fire department came, and they drug the swim hole. They found the body and what had happened. True story, that young man had dove head first into a nest of water snakes. He was eaten alive. Now, realizing his friend was about to go to the same fate, he pushed him off and pushed him off, got his head up, go back, got sucked under, pushed him off again, go back. And finally, it was the end. But he did not want his friend to go there. And I got to thinking, if I could somehow come before congregations that I am a privileged man to preach to. I count it a privilege. I do not think of myself as higher and better than anyone. I get to do this. But I thought if I could do this, somehow take a magic saw, cut a hole in the auditorium floor, cut a hole in the earth, cut a hole in the coffin lid to hell, and open up the lid to hell and reach down and take a hold of a man who's been burning in hell for about 2,000 years and pull him out of hell for just a short 30 minutes, put him behind this pulpit, let him preach, and mace it down, I imagine our lives would be affected permanently. Imagine we hear the most eloquent sermon we've ever heard in our life. I imagine there'd be something like, go back! Don't come here! Go back! Don't come here! Why is it that we seldom want to warn the wicked about hell until we're looking at them in a casket? The Bible says in Ezekiel 3.18 when I say unto the wicked thou shalt surely die and thou givest him not warning nor seeketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way the same wicked man will die in his iniquity but get this his blood will I require at thine hand. Now for every, that's okay, that's all right you're with me, for every teenage girl that that man that I met in Pennsylvania dated and they were immoral, they were loose and they were no different than any unsaved person if that guy Dane dies and goes to hell God's going to say Dane's blood's going to drip from your hand young lady for every co-worker that you drink it up with and you're a believer and you go to heaven and they go to hell your hands are going to drip, drip with their blood And for everyone that you say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but then they hear you saying God's name in vain and all the other foul language, your hands going to drip with their blood. And here's what I want to ask you. Do you want your hands dripping with the blood of the doomed? And the only way to change that is to make sure that we're living for God. And we fix these things that we've done wrong. Now, Is anybody going to be perfect, yes or no? Only one perfect is Jesus. But should every one of us try to be like Jesus? Yes. Let's bow our heads.